0: Amen. So we've been on a journey the last uh, 10 weeks, and we've arrived at the end of the Torah, and Sam's going to finish us off. So get your Bibles out, Deuteronomy, and uh, we're going to hear Moses' last words and uh, get our heads and hearts around Torah. I like that. Sam's going to finish you off. <laughs> it's clearly been a good morning. Um, Okay, here's what we're going to start by doing, um, is um, could you um, get into little groups of two or three, um, and if you've been here, if you've, I mean, maybe this is your first time here today, or you're um, just visiting or whatever, and that's fine, um, in which case it will be the onus on the other people in your group to do all the talking, which is completely fine, Um, just want you to share, if you've been here at all over the last ten weeks, um, maybe start with, can you remember anything? Um, About what we've looked at, Um, and has anything particularly struck you over the last 10 weeks as we've looked at these incredible first five books of the Bible? So, just in twos and threes, or fours, or fives, or whatever you feel comfortable with, um, what can you remember, and uh, what's particularly struck you? Just get your brains warmed up. If you don't know each other, it's also a really good chance to make some lifelong friends. So, uh, uh, you know, get to know each other. What do you do? Where do you come from? How much do you earn? What's your deepest sin? Those kind of things. Okay, great. That's quite enough from you. Now it's my turn. Uh, If you gather back together, uh, point at me-ish. Who knows? Maybe we'll do more group work if I don't think of other things to say. It could always happen. Not that I normally... Last time I spoke at this church was three weeks ago, and I talked... I think it was 55 minutes, for which I sincerely apologize. And I hope it won't happen today, and you all hope it, it... was. I mean, 55 minutes. I would not have mercy on another preacher if they did that. I would... Uh, I would <laughs> be my last time. So I, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try and be succinct. In fact, I've got three points today. But it will take me 15 minutes to get to start them. So, um, okay. Uh, so we've been on this journey. Genesis, Exodus a leaf just fell down by that window. That's strange. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and we are now in Deuteronomy, the final book of the Pentateuch, of the Torah. Um, These kind of first five seminal books of the Bible that really define everything going forward. Do you remember in that first week, uh, we had that quote from a really old rabbi a couple of thousand years ago called Ben Bagbag. Do you remember this? Um, And this guy said, um, you know, the thing with the Torah is you can just keep turning it and turning it and turning it and looking at it from more and more angles because everything is in it everything, all the themes that we see later on in the Bible are all found in these first five books. And we've kind of got this common thing as the church where we can look at these, look at the Old Testament and kind of think there's this Old Testament-y kind of God, and then there's this New Testamenty kind of nice God. And I think what we've seen is that God was always pretty nice, <laughs> and he, he's just, he's so good. And actually, all the themes, including grace, including salvation, including Jesus, it's all there in these first five books, all kind of, um, Uh, I was going to say hidden. It's not very well hidden. Um, And it's all there. And so we've had a great time. Now, Nige opened Deuteronomy uh, last week to us, um, and uh, the recorder broke and didn't save his talk. Yay! Uh, And I actually wasn't here because my family were all ill, so um, I don't know what he said. Uh, So uh, I'll recap what I think Nige should have said. No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We won't do that. Um, But basically, I think he said... That Deuteronomy is basically three talks by Moses. Did he say that? Kind of three sections, three speeches. By Moses. And if you think, this guy's been walking with Israel as their leader for 40 years through the desert. They've been through some rough times together. He knows he's about to die. So this is kind of his parting gift to the people. Uh, Deuteronomy is his way of saying, guys, stick with it. Stick with God. It's so worth it. Stick with God and everything will be fine if you stick with God. Um, so that's basically what he says. Now, the first speech, I'm going to, this is They're more nuanced than this, but will you let me generalize a little? Yes. Uh, No. Um, The first speech is kind of him looking back. It's Moses looking back at the story of God's people so far. And it's roughly speaking chapters 1 to 4-ish. And he's saying, remember um, how God brought you out of slavery. Remember all that he's done for you. Remember how your parents have been idiots and didn't obey God and didn't listen to what I was saying. Don't be like them. Um, because actually, do you remember this is now 40 years on, so all the people who got the law at Sinai uh, Sinai, are now dead. Do you remember this? Um, all the people who got the law are now dead, so there's a new bunch of people who need to hear the law. So the first section is looking back. The second section is looking at now. How do we live for God now? And so Moses kind of reteaches the law to them, um, which is why it's called Deuteronomy, the second law. It's like another teaching of the law. Um, And so there's uh, that's kind of the middle and the largest speech by Moses. And he's talks through all the aspects of the law, um, like what it means to live in purity before God, what it means to be kind to your neighbor, like everything, how to do family, what to do if someone steals from you. He just walks through like here's how to live for God practically now. Does that make sense? So we've done looking back. We've done now. What do you think the third section is? Looking forward. That's right. This is the, and this is really what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this third part by Moses, um, where kind of from chapter kind of twenty-seven, basically to the end, um, Moses is kind of pointing forward to what's going to happen next. What's going to happen when you, as a people, now remember, they're just across the river from the promised land. What's going to happen after you go into the promised land, um, and? Here's where my three points come. You ready? They are these. I'm even going to tell you them so you can hold me to them. Um, One, Moses presents to them a choice about whether to serve God or not. Clear? I mean, I barely need to say more than that, but I will. Um, Two, Moses makes it relatively clear whether he thinks they will or not. Okay? It's not good. (laughs) Three... It's kind of a curveball, and you're going to have to wait for it. You ready? Here we go. Okay, uh, first part. If you look at chapter 27, if you have a Bible, it may help um, to have a Bible. Um, But basically, from chapter 27, uh, Moses is kind of setting out these options for the people. Um, You can either choose to live God's way and obey this Torah that I'm giving you, obey these words, obey this teaching from God, um, or you cannot. Um, And he gets the people to kind of emphasize this choice in a few different ways. So in uh, 27, there's this cool moment um, from verse 11, where he charged the people as follows. uh, When you have crossed the Jordan... That these shall stand on Mount Gerizim for the blessing of the people. And so he says, uh, basically, split the tribes, six tribes on one hill, six tribes on another hill, and then you're going to say this together. And it's a, like a bit of a liturgy uh, where the people kind of sign up to the covenant for themselves and say, yeah, we're going to follow this. But the things they say are pretty strange. These are the things Moses gets them to say. Uh, from verse 15. Cursed be anyone who makes an idol or casts an image. I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because, like, the first command, don't make an idol. Well, I don't know if that's the first one. But, you know, don't make idols against God is kind of a relatively established rule by now, isn't it? Uh, so that one kind of makes sense. And then all of the people say, Amen. Can you say, Amen? amen. Should we do this together? Uh, Cursed be anyone who dishonors father or mother. All the people shall say, amen. Cursed be anyone who moves a neighbor's boundary marker. Amen. <laughs> Has anyone ever moved a fence post and they're like, hey, watch it. Yeah, tempted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, cursed be anyone who misleads a blind person on the road. Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, and the widow of justice. Wow, huh? We're getting deep, aren't we? This is great. Uh, cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife <laughs> because he's violated his father's rights. Um, I was hoping you wouldn't have a trouble amending that one. There was a reticence there. Um, amen. Uh, cursed be anyone who lies with any animal. <laughs> it would have been easier if he'd just done the Ten Commandments, wouldn't it, really? Um, cursed be anyone who lies with his sister. And then we specify whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. Cursed be anyone who strikes down a neighbor in secret. Amen. Curse be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Amen. Curse be anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say. Amen. What a strange old list. Some of them you're like, wow, it's so good that that's in there. Like curse be anyone who blocks the path of a blind person. Isn't that cool? That's in like, that's in there. Right there is this sort of social justice element along with a very strong reminder not to sleep with your mother-in-law. Who needed that? That's the question, isn't it? How, ma- how many people in the tribes were like, I just can't wait to get past the Jordan, sleep with my mother-in-law. It's just like, anyway, uh, so there you go. Kind of in, in, a, in a mind of Moses there, what he thinks might happen. Um, so he gets, do you see how he's getting the people to say, yes, we're going to own this law and we're going to live by it. Um, and if we don't, There are consequences. Do you see that? There's this choice, and there are consequences. Uh, Second up, uh, chapter 28, there's now a list of blessings for if you obey. um, If you kind of live by the law, if you give yourself to God and you live according to the law, um, you'll see in verse 3 to 6, there's a bunch of blessings. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Um, Yeah, you don't have to say amen to this bit. Uh, Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your livestock both the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Um, I need a, yeah, it's like your Kenwood chef, isn't it, the modern day? Um, There's a lot of heckling going on. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Now what's that basically saying? Blessed you will be... Everywhere <laughs> and all the time. Um, oh dear! Uh, and then there's ten great verses from verse seven to verse fourteen, where Moses says, "Guys, if you live God's way, this is just going to be tremendous. You're going to have great opportunity. You're going to see increase. You're going to have great. It's just going to be lovely, lovely, lovely." Uh, now, what do you think comes next? That's right. The opposite is also true. So the second um, kind of four fifths of chapter 28 are what happens if it goes badly wrong. Uh, Verse 15, if you will not obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandments and decrees which I'm commanding you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then you'll notice some parallels here. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, um, the increase of your cattle and the issue of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed when you go out. Now, before we had 10 more additional verses of blessing. Here we get from verse 20 to verse 68 <laughs> of how bad it's going to be if you turn away from God and if you don't do things His way. What do you think Moses is saying? He's saying, guys, this is serious. This is really serious. It really matters. You can choose to obey God or you can choose to disobey God, but it flipping matters. It will make a massive amount of difference and not a subtle difference in your life. Um, Does that make sense? Now, he keeps going, and really, in each chapter, there's this command. Guys, stick with God. Stick with God. Um, And it comes up again in chapter 30. I'm going to look for the moment. In fact, we're going to spend most of the rest of the morning in chapter 30, which is incredible. Um, If you just need to go home and just read something after this talk, just read chapter 30 um, of Deuteronomy. It's so, so good. Um, But we're going to start in the second half and go back to the first half. Um, So, from verse 11... uh, Now, verse 11, surely this commandment that I'm commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. What's he saying? He's saying God's not made things stupidly difficult for you. The law isn't designed to trip you up. It's not designed to make life really difficult. It's not designed to be too pernickety or whatever. It's basically saying, love God, love your neighbor. Oh, thanks. That's very kind. I can't drink it because I need spare hands. It's very kind. Um, Oh, no, I don't want an election. I'll look less cool. Um, (laughs) 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 I'll lean on it. Um, Surely this commandment that I'm commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it? It's, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get it for us, that we may hear it. In other words, God's not just asking you to do guesswork. He's told you what he wants from you. He's told you what he cares about. Just do it. Just Do it. Um, And then he says in verse 15, and this is where it starts to get really exciting. See, I have set before you life and. What do your Bibles say here? Life and. Prosperity. Does anyone have anything different to prosperity? Life and good. Ooh. Remember that word good? Where did good first come up in the Bible? Right in the beginning. Isn't that interesting? Where does life first come up in the Bible? And there's a tree of life. And God said it was very good. Huh. Death. I see, so I set before you life and prosperity on the one hand. And on the other hand, death and what do you have? Destruction. Anyone, anything else different? Evil. Or literally, it's just the Hebrew word ra, which means bad or evil. So I'm setting before you life and good, death and ra, death and bad. Where do all those four words come up for the first time? You remember the tree of the knowledge of good? and Remember God giving the first people a precious land to live in that was so beautiful. It was a gift from God. And he said, you've got a job to do here. Tend it, but don't eat of that tree. Do you remember this? Or you will surely. Isn't it interesting that at the end of this Pentateuch, at the end of the Torah, at the end of these five books, Moses is drawing our mind back to the very earliest theme of what living with God looks like this choice, life and good, death and bad? (laughs) He says it again a little bit later um, in verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death. And then, blessing and, where did blessing first come up in the Bible? And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Remember? Where did cursing first come up in the Bible? (laughs) And God cursed the ground and he cursed the serpent and he cursed the man. Do you remember this? Moses is tying it all back together as if this thing is just one unit about what living with God looks like. How cool is that? I just find things like that really wicked. And then he, he says in the, uh, later on in verse 19, so he says, I'm setting before you this choice. I'm setting it as plain as I can. And he says, choose life. Choose life. You see, Moses is begging with these people that he spent 40 years with. Choose life. Don't screw it up, you guys. Don't. I know what you're like. Please don't mess it up. Can you hear his kind of pastoral heart coming through there? Choose life. Um, and then he bangs on about life for a bit. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, holding fast to him for that... It says, that means life to you. Other translations say, for he is your life. God is your life. Cling to him. Um, And length of days that you may live in the land. In other words, this could go one of two ways. Please, please choose the good one. Are we with me? That's point one. Point two is Moses saying how he thinks it might play out. (laughs) Do you think Moses is optimistic at this stage? So he's walked with the people for 40 years. Has his experience led him to think that they might do really well in the land, obeying God wholeheartedly, never messing up? Not really. No, there's been some checkered parts in the journey, haven't there, every single day. Um, And yeah, so he says at the beginning of chapter 30, so we're skipping back a little bit. He says at the beginning of chapter 30, when all of these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses. In other words, you're going to get both. I know that you're going to experience both. I know you're going to experience God's blessing, and I know you're going to disobey him and get the full brunt of all these curses. Oh Rats! <laughs> um, There's kind of a pessimistic end. Uh, Moses is looking at his people, looking across the valley to the promised land, and saying, "I know this isn't going to work. I know that it's not going to work." Not really interesting. Um, so he says, where, uh, "He says there once, you, once all these curses have come bef- have come upon you." which they will Uh, also God then speaks in chapter 31 and Moses and God have a conversation Um, uh, from verse 16 of chapter 31. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, soon you'll lie down with your ancestors. Then this people will begin to prostitute themselves to the foreign gods in their midst. And God's like, basically day one, you die day two, they start sinning and go crazy. Uh, uh, Day three, I wipe them out. That's kind of how chapter 31 sounds. Um, so then these people will begin to prostitute themselves to the foreign gods in their midst, the gods of the land in which they are going. They will forsake me, breaking my covenant that I've made with them. My anger will be kindled against them on that day. That's interesting, isn't it? God's expecting the people to last about a week. Huh. Well, that's going to that might be something that we come back to. I'd like you to think about that. On that day. Um, I will forsake them and hide my face from them. They'll become easy prey, and many terrible troubles will come upon them. So Moses doesn't think it's going to work, and God doesn't think it's going to work. Yay! Happy end of Torah, everyone. Woo-hoo. Um, <laughs> but here's where it gets really exciting. Here's where it gets really exciting. Coming back to chapter 30. If, when it's all, when all this has happened, and you've been cursed, and by the way, that means exile, that means losing the land, losing your privilege as God's people, uh, losing the prosperity that God wants to give you, losing everything, um, and and being far from home. In exile. So already the exile, which becomes like a massive theme of the Old Testament, um, where the people of God sin against God so much over such a long period of time that He says, "Okay, enough is enough. Someone else is going to live in the land. Someone else is going to do this." Um, so He just cleans them out um, and and then starts again with a few. Uh, very long, very interesting story. Um, but Moses says, "When you're there, when you're in that place of." You've completely disobeyed God and he's abandoned you and it's all going rubbish. He says, if you call these commandments, if you call this Torah to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and returns of the Lord your God and you and your children obey him with all your heart and all your soul, just as I'm commanding you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you gathering you again from all the peoples among whom the Lord your God has scattered you. Even if you're exiled to the ends of the world, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land that your ancestors possessed and you will possess it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Do you see what's happening? So the (laughs) where we're at is he's saying okay imagine you turn against god and you turn against god as much as you possibly can and he drives you out when you're driven out of the nations and you're in slavery somewhere else and it's awful and you're as far away from god as you can ever imagine being if you if you there turn around it's like you'll see that he's followed you all the way and he's right there waiting to gather you back in isn't that incredible That right in this moment, there's hope, even for the worst failures. (laughs) Like, that's in the Torah. That's in the law. This moment of just, oh gosh, I've got nothing. I'm broken. I'm at the end of myself. I turn back to God, and he's right there waiting for me. Isn't that cool? That's right here. And here's the curveball. I mean, maybe it won't be a curveball to you, or maybe you'll just think I'm a heretic, which I might be, might be i think that moment is the exact point of the whole torah so far that moment where you realize oh gosh i can't do it i'm a wreck things have gone wrong this is rubbish this is terrible i just need god's grace because i can't do it myself i think that's the whole point does that make sense let me let me kind of expand on this a little um (laughs) Okay, we're going to go on a little journey, very small. Um, Verse 6, it says this, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Now, isn't that interesting? God's saying, even in that moment, you won't turn back to me on your own. That it needs something else. Now, the Torah is regarded as like the core of faith for the Jewish people and, and for the Israelites, right? Everything's in the Torah. This is key. This is key. But what this part of the Torah is saying is that just having this law, you guys, just this, this piece of writing and you isn't enough. Do you see that? This piece of writing and you is not enough for you to live God's way. For you to be God's people wholeheartedly, it's not enough. Isn't that self-aware to the extreme of a piece of religious writing? To say this piece of writing and you isn't enough. But what it's saying, God's going to do something someday that will take this law from just being something external to you. It's the language of the heart. And make it something that's inside you. Bring it right into the realm, not just of a law that you know, but of something that you are, like a part of who you are. And that's going to require some amazing amount of transformation. And it's all a gift. It's going to be a gift. It's not going to be because of you. It's not going to be because of you. If you love God one day, it's because it's going to be because he does a work in your heart. Now, let's kind of track the story of the Torah and a little bit of the story of Jesus and we'll kind of see how this plays out. Um, Who have been some... Oh gosh, I'm getting hot now. Um, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's not all coming off, Luke. What we find the whole way through the Torah is that it's the broken people who get blessed by God. So do you remember in the garden, Adam and Eve? I mean, they're, they're blessed when they're well, they're blessed when they're well, but it's after they've sinned that God sews clothes for them. And they experience his tender mercy as he covers their shame In a way that they wouldn't have done. If they hadn't sinned. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not not saying they should have sinned. (laughs) That's going to be important as we go on today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they experienced something of God. In the wreckage of their lives that they make. That they wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Do you see that? Or like Cain. After he murders his brother Abel. What does God do? He puts a mark of protection on this guy. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that beautiful that Cain bears a mark of protection from God? Or like Jacob, who's just a complete idiot, steals the birthright from his brother. Where's the point where Jacob has a transforming encounter with God? It's in a cave where he's at the end of himself. He's got nothing left. He's faced with his own ridiculous mistakes. And he says, God, I've got nothing left. That's the point where he can wrestle with God and get a new name and a new identity. Does that make sense? It's in the failure. It's in the brokenness. That's why the Torah is here. It's to lead us to a point where we realize it's not about what I do because I can't do it. I've got to lean on grace. I've got to lean on forgiveness. I've got to lean on God. Does that make sense? And it comes the whole way through like Joseph's brothers who sell their brother into slavery in Egypt and come to him and in famine and despair. And that's where they experience the salvation of God or like the people of Israel when they're enslaved in Egypt um, and they get to the end of themselves and they can't do anything about it. And that's where they cry out to God and God sends them Moses and he leads them out in freedom or like when they're at the waters um, in the Red Sea and they can't. Can't cross, and the army's coming on them, and they're at the end of themselves. They don't have any weapons, they don't have any way to fight. They just think they're goners. And Moses says exactly just stand still, and God will save you. Or, or like, or the whole way through, the, this is the story that we've been meeting. The Torah isn't about, <laughs> I know it's just set, told us to be good, but it's not about being good. That's the, par- that's the paradox of the Torah. That's the paradox of the law in, the, uh, in this Old Testament. The law isn't there just so that you obey it and are good. The law is there because none of us can. And it brings us to a point of brokenness before God where we say, I just need you, Lord. I just need you. I can't do it. And that's exactly the place where grace can start. You don't look as happy about that as I expected. I was kind of hoping that we'd be here. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's actually in the Torah. That's actually here. This is what it's saying. It's saying you can't do it. I mean, not that there's a problem with the Torah. Not that there's a problem with the law that God gives. That's not the point at all. It's near you. I've made it accessible to you. The problem is me, right? The problem is not God's commands. The problem is me. Um, but I can't do them and I don't do them. And then that brings me to a place where I just lean on him and he says, great, come on, let's do this together. And the law is actually pointing. That's why Moses dies at the end, by the way, because it's a symbol. Moses won't bring you into the promised land. The law of Moses won't get you there. You've got to get it another way. And the way is Joshua, which the name means the Lord saves. Do you see? And the incredible foresight of this book to look beyond itself in that way. Or like, look at Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and not abolish it? And then he seems to go out of his way to look like he's abolishing it. Did you ever think that's weird? <laughs> how not abolishing the law for Jesus looks like a woman who deserves to get stoned, not getting stoned. I mean with stones, not, you know. Um, so, so for Jesus, fulfilling the law looks a little bit like he was abolishing it. Isn't that weird? Or, or like the, all the people he hangs out with that aren't religious, that don't have it right, that get it wrong. And I think we often, we often interpret that as being like, yeah, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but then he was very, very, very kind and let people in even who didn't sort of thing. Does that make sense? That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was fulfilling the law by opening it. to all the people who didn't fulfill the law, because that's the whole point of the law. Paul writes a lot about this. If you've ever read Paul in the New Testament, you know that he writes a lot about law and grace and how the law is good. It's not bad, um, but it it can't save us. Paul writes in Galatians 2. um, He puts it in this language. Um, He says, For through the law, I died to the law. (laughs) What's he saying? I followed the law and it brought me to a place of death. That So that I might live to God. That in that place of death, there's a new resurrection. Um, that we get raised to life in God. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. What Paul's saying is the whole purpose of the law is to bring us to a place where we realize we can't do it ourselves, where we can't obey God fully ourselves, but where we lean on his grace. Have I, bela- have I labored that point or are we getting there? Is this okay? This is the whole thing that Jesus was trying to show us, isn't it? And, and this is great because now when your mates are like, hey, Isn't it true that God in the Old Testament was like, you should do this, you should do that. And then eventually uh, he decided it didn't work. And then Jesus was kind of plan B, uh, let's try and be nice to them for a change sort of thing. Like that view of God. I mean, I know I very much parodied it anyway. But that is just so far from the truth, isn't it? Because what we see the whole way through the Torah what we see the whole way through the Old Testament story, what we see the whole way through the New Testament story, is that God is open to us in our most broken moments. Isn't that so good? And the law isn't there to get you beyond that. The law is there to show you that and set you free in it. That's why we've just done the Torah for 10 weeks. <laughs> grace. And it's all the way. It's all here. It's all here. It's always grace. I think I've said it. Go on we do so we break the law and jesus is our advocate because he's completed it yeah that's that's true that's completely true that's completely true but the scandal of it is when you push the illustration further and say the whole point of the law was to get us to a place where we don't complete it no as in i think i think uh, and i think that is how far jesus pushes it and I think that's how far Paul pushes it. When he says the law was given that sin may abound. And then when sin abounded, grace abounded. And it doesn't mean that we should sin, obviously. It doesn't mean that we should live against God. No, 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 no. Why would you if you've got such a great God? Why would you want to not live for him, right? Um, but I think he, he, that the Bible goes so far as to say that the reason that God gives these commands is to push us to a place of brokenness in front of him, which is kind of scandalous, but also incredibly beautiful because it recognizes, I was talking to a a child psychotherapist last night, Um, uh, not about me, Uh, I hasten to add, I've got no childhood issues at all. Um, No, I've got tons of issues. Um, But she was saying, as as we got talking, the conversation just randomly went here and it wasn't me. Um, She said, Listen, people think that uh, parents want to have this perfect relationship with their kids where nothing ever goes wrong. And she says that kind of relationship is always superficial. Deep relationship happens through rupture and repair, it's by making mistakes and fixing them. That's relationship. And I think that's weirdly close to what the Bible is doing. I think it's highlighting the rupture so that it can bring the repair. And you're totally right. Jesus is our advocate. He's completed the law. He fulfilled it. He, in every way, isn't condemned by it. And he did live it. He, he lived it fully. Um, but even more extreme, he lived it by opening it to the people who didn't. That was part of it. That's part of the beauty of it.